So tonight is my my third uh, and, and final talk on taking refuge in the three jewels in the Triratna. The Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Um, and taking refuge, you'll, you'll remember, is, is making that choice to take these three things with us. Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Uh, and taking them with us on our path. You know, and making a commitment to be a follower of the Buddha, to be a Buddhist. And the first jewel in which we take refuge is the Buddha. The example that we can follow as we walk this path. Uh, and we mean by that both the historical Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, uh, but also our own Buddha nature, or our potential to awaken and become a Buddha ourselves. And the second jewel is the Dharma. And when we talk about the Dharma, we mean the teachings of the Buddha and all the teachings that have come since um, and have been, you know, recorded and, and written down by followers, you know, from the time of the Buddha all the way through to today. Um, as well as the path, you know, that, that other meaning of the word Dharma, things, right? All the things on our path and all of those things that we see on a daily basis have an opportunity to teach us something and can be moments for awakening. And so we take refuge in the Dharma. And the third jewel that I want to talk about tonight is the Sangha, or the community. Now Sangha, like a lot of uh, words that we use in Buddhism, is a Sanskrit term, and it means community or assembly. Uh, in the same way that a lot of other uh, you know, religious organizations may refer to their group of worshipers, right? An assembly, a community, a congregation, a church, a temple, spiritual community, right? And the Sangha, historically, was originally the Buddha's, you know, original followers, the five ascetics uh, who the, the Buddha practiced with. You may remember the ascetics when the Buddha set forth from his home, laid down his life as a prince, and decided to go out and, and find an answer to this cause of suffering. He practiced with a series of ascetics, uh, ascetics and there were five of them, and, and uh, these were folks who were engaged in, in severe austerities, <laughs> we'll say, and the Buddha was, you know, the best among them. He could do all of these, these uh, austere practices, and, uh, but one time when the, the Buddha was, you know, not eating, uh, and was starving, you know, as, as one of these ascetic practices. Uh, he was near death, and a, a young girl uh, saved him by feeding him, right? And, and when the ascetics saw the Buddha taking nourishment, they're like, ah, this guy's lost his path, right? But the Buddha actually found his path um, by that realization of like, hey, there needs to be a middle way here. Right, a middle way between the excesses of of where he you know grew up in the palace as a prince, where it was nothing but pleasure all day long, and the other excess of um, you know austerity and 
not eating and, and you know, trying to, uh, you know, forsake the flesh and things like that. So, you know, and, and after that, the Buddha had, had his opportunity uh, beneath the Bodhi tree and uh, after which he awoke to the truth of the end of suffering and, and after making the decision to teach others about this he went back to these five mendicants these five ascetics and they sort of were like oh man here comes this this you know Siddhartha who dared to eat food <laughs> and you know but then they saw like boy he looks radiant he looked like he's really figured things out and so he gave his first sermon to these five uh, ascetics and they followed him and they became the first sangha right so the first community and it's important to note that the buddha had this group with him because he didn't wander alone he had this moment for a time um where he had a realization but then he came back and he had followers and he had a community with him as community grew right um, and, and we don't need to wander alone. We don't need to think that we need to go our own way, always, right? Sometimes it can be okay to take some time to ourselves. But we don't need to be alone all the time. That sense of community is important, right? And as that community grew uh, around the Buddha, you know, it contained uh, uh, many monks and eventually nuns. Uh, you know, folks who left their lives behind to come and stay in this community. And they were called bhikkhus or, or bhikkhunis or bhikshus uh, or bhikshunis and, you know, meaning beggars, right? Because they would go out and with their, their begging bowls and accept uh, alms from, you know, the communities that helped to support them. And so the community was not just the monks and the nuns, but the broader community, right? And that community... Um, both of the, the monks and nuns and the broader lay communities, they both expanded and continued to grow after the Buddha's death. And today, you know, there's still many traditional communities where the, the makeup of the Sangha is primarily monks and nuns, you know, folks who have chosen to leave life behind and, and you know, seek that life as a, as a, as a monk, as a bhikkhu. Um, but Sangha contemporarily is, is sort of taken on a, a broader term or a broader meaning where it, it encompasses the entire lay community. You know, typically those who have taken precepts and decided to join the community in a formal way. Um, and they made that commitment to walk the path of the Buddha. And, and today, you know, we look at numbers, and I googled this <laughs> for this year, the number of uh, Buddhists in the world, you know, is coming in at over 500 million. So we're definitely not alone. That community has gone much bigger from five to 500 million. You know, and, and so the, the community, the Sangha, is, is such a critical part of Buddhism. And <clears throat> despite that, you know, I think this is particularly true in, in Western culture. There's still a very big uh, emphasis on on individualism, on independence, self-reliance. Right? It can be tempting to think, well, I don't really need anyone. I can go it alone. I can figure this out. And you know, but but we humans are social creatures. 
right? And we may say, like, well, but what about this famous teacher? He went out on his own, and, you know, the 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 image of the hermit in the woods or the mountaintop kind of living on their own. You know, and, and certainly there are times for that um, where it can be okay to get away for a little bit, like I said, you know. Uh, taking that time for ourselves can be very important, right? To seek some silence, some solitude, to create mental space and reflect without distraction. Uh, but ultimately, we need each other. You know, probably all heard the saying that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, right? Because we don't have all the answers. When we're on our own, it can be very easy to get lost. Or, you know, if we get hurt, to have, no one's there to help us heal. Right? So there, there are definite reasons why it makes sense for us to go together. To take refuge. To take along the Sangha. To take this community with us as we practice and as we walk this path of awakening. Because we need each other to make it. And so taking refuge in the Sangha is about companionship, right? Recognizing that we're all in this together, you know, supporting one another, being visible reminders to one another about the efficacy of our practice. Because there are times we'll get discouraged and we'll say, like, I don't think this is working. Or it was working really well at first, but then this thing happened at work or over the holidays, you know, while family was getting together and oh man, I just forgot my practice, <laughs> right? Seeing other people, seeing them practice, we're like, oh, okay, this does work. I just got stymied a little bit, but it was good to have that reminder in the, in the form of another person who was also practicing to show us, like I said, the efficacy, the effectiveness of our practice, of our path. And so there are you know, a variety of benefits to taking refuge in the Sangha. Um, you know, because taking refuge in the Sangha is to admit that we aren't going to go it alone. You know, remember our definition of taking. You know, oftentimes we think of refuges as a place where we stay. But taking refuge in this regard is taking it with us, right? Going with. Taking the community with us. So a Sangha is a group of practi practitioners that we travel with. And this matters because on any journey, we need people who we can connect with, right? It's one of the first benefits of the Sangha, is people who we can connect with, bear witness to, and have someone bear witness for us, right? To our successes, you know, our breakthroughs, to our struggles, when things aren't going well, to support each other in those tough times when we really need it. And again, to remember that we're not on this path alone, even though it can feel a little lonely sometimes. So a lot of our suffering emanates from a sense of being separate. And a community can remind us of our connection. Right? Be a very visible presence in our lives when we need it. Here's the thing, you know, let's face it, <laughs> despite there being over 500 million Buddhists in the world, you know, unless we live in one of the few countries where, you know, there are large numbers of Buddhists, like China, Thailand, Burma, Japan, you know, likely, especially in the West, likely if you're, if you're a practicing Buddhist, you're kind of in the minority, likely in your community, 
right? Community mean neighborhood, town, city where you live. And so it's nice to see that other people are walking the same path as you. That can be an excellent reminder. So it's one of the benefits of, of taking refuge in the Sangha is being there to support one another and remind one another that we're not alone. Right? A second benefit of taking refuge in the Sangha is that we have people to learn from. Right? We can learn from books, you know, Dharma talks, videos, things like that. But having folks who we can, you know, spend time with in community can teach us things. It gives us an opportunity to hear from folks who've gone before us, overcame hurdles maybe that we're, we're dealing with right now, right? Which gives us faith, right? Remember, faith is something that we experience when we see someone else has gone before us and done that thing that we're struggling with. So it gives us faith, and that faith is important because the faith compels us to continue our practice. And so Sangha is, is, is being surrounded by folks who can help develop help us develop faith they've gone before they've done similar things we can be that person for other people right i used to struggle with that and i overcame it and here's how and you know i i talked in in the last uh my last dharma talk around the the, the dharma the teachings and there are lots of teachings that we can read and lots of teachings that we can listen to. But the wonderful thing about a community is there are folks within that community who can ref share their reflections on the teachings, right? So what it means to them, how, what, you know, what insights they've gotten from those teachings. But you're hearing something in a new and a different way can be really effective for helping us understand. You know, hearing things explained in a way we've never heard before, you know, or encounter new teachings. Maybe someone makes a recommendation or shares something that they had read. Or they can explain a particularly difficult teaching to us. Or they can correct us if maybe we've misunderstood a teaching, you know, and it's causing us to suffer or inadvertently, you know, make others suffer. Right? An example I use a lot of times is, you know, it's easy to misunderstand some Buddhist teachings around like, we need to destroy the ego. Yuck, the ego's gross, we need to get rid of it, right? It's not really what is being taught. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's one of those things that someone who may be new to Buddhism may kind of latch on to, but it can be useful in a communal setting for people to say, like, actually, here's what that means. Here's how you should think about that. So to be corrected. Um, even these Dharma talks, at least I hope, <laughs> you know, are an important offering. Uh, from priests in our community, in our Sangha. You know, whether you're listening uh, on YouTube, you know, watching the video or listening to our podcast where we post these as well. Um, that is an act of taking refuge in the community, benefiting from the insights of our, of our community of priests. So that's the second benefit, is having folks to learn from. And the third benefit is being able to come together and celebrate liturgies together, just celebrate together, right? Not only our annual liturgies that are an important part of our calendar, uh, where we remember, <coughs> pardon me, important practices. We remember the life of the Buddha, the journey that he took, such as with our annual Satori, liturgy that we'll be celebrating later this month 
um, that I hope you'll be able to join us for. Uh, but also celebrate when people enter the community by taking the precepts. Or when someone makes a commitment to enter seminary. Right? Or as they, you know, study in seminary and they're ordained as shuzos. Or when they're fully ordained as oshos, as full priests in our order, in our communities. We celebrate that together. It's very meaningful when people come together for that. I remember when I first entered seminary, I, uh, I went to see one of my fellow priests get their final ordination. And that was a very important thing, um, to see that process and kind of understand that continuity of that's what I'm working toward, right? And we celebrate our weekly liturgies, you know, with each other every Monday or Wednesday, whether it's in, in person in Camp Hill with Osho Michael, uh, or here virtually with Osho Brad, you know, we, we recite passages together, we chant, we offer incense and solidarity, and we sit in meditation together. And that's an important thing to do. You know, whether, you know, maybe you're alone in your house right now, or you, you know, alone in a room uh, watching this video and, and getting ready to spend some time in silent reflection, but you're not alone, right? We're all doing this together as a community, and that's important too. And so taking refuge in the Sangha is to stay connected with the broader Buddhist community. You know, maybe locally in a community that you belong to or, or virtual community. Um, but Buddhists all across the world, that 500 million folks who are practicing. You know, in our Sangha, the Dragonfly Sangha, our community, you know, we practice virtually here Monday evenings. We practice together. Uh, or, or Wednesday evenings, Monday, we, we practice in person in Camp Hill, come together for liturgies and some of these other celebrations, retreats, things like that. And we've been doing this together in central Pennsylvania for over 20 years now. And so we are a part of that legacy of Buddhist community, started by those five ascetics who followed the Buddha. So this community, this plurality, this continuity is critical, you know, not only for creating a sense of cohesion, but also for fulfilling our vows as practitioners. And, you know, one of the vows we make, and we do this every time we, we close one of our liturgies, is to make the four immeasurable vows. You know, we'll make four sort of seemingly contradictory statements right you know sentient beings are numberless i vow to liberate them right they're numberless how can i possibly liberate all of them they're they're beyond number you know the way is unattainable i vow to attain it right we make these impossible vows in part because they're directional right we keep moving in that direction even if we never quite get there because we don't want to stop and so the commitment, there's a commitment that we make when we make those vows to keep going. That's more important than the getting there. But we also make these vows because we understand that we're not making them by ourselves. The community is making the vow. We're all working to liberate these numberless beings, to end the endless delusions 
to embody the endless ways of compassion and wisdom and to attain the unattainable. We can't do that as individuals, but we can do that as a community because we are continuing the work of those who came before and someday along will come folks who will continue that work after we're gone, <laughs> right? They'll make those same vows. They will continue this work, this practice for the benefit of themselves and for all beings, all numberless beings. So we make those vows as a Sangha, as a community, an assembly of, like I said, everyone who's practicing now, everyone who's practiced before, everyone who will practice someday. And so all that becomes possible because of that community. And it's that community started with the Buddha and now flowering into this uh, weave of 500 million plus people that will continue to grow. It's that community in which we take refuge that we carry with us every day. So I hope that that's been helpful to talk through those three jewels in which we as Buddhists take refuge. <laughs>